this is Milla Heikkilä from Sofocus, and you're listening to Better Monday podcast. Failure is something people are often very scared about, and we tend to avoid failing like it would be the worst thing that could actually happen to us. Like one failure would ruin our whole life or a career. But have you ever thought that vaccines, for example, would never have been invented if there were no failures? I don't know if you are familiar with the term fail fast, but personally I'm a huge fan of it. It's actually a philosophy uh, that values failing, because failing helps us to determine whether an idea is a good or not. When we fail fast, we simultaneously minimize uh, the losses and are also ready to quickly try something else if the current strategy is not working. Failing is definitely something people should feel more confident about. When we are not afraid of failing, we are more open to new ideas and opportunities as well. And uh, you know what? For this Better Monday podcast episode, I had the honor to interview Miha Matlievski, who knows everything about failure and failing. Miha works as a fail coach, such a cool title by the way, And his job is to help other entrepreneurs and organizations to succeed with the tools and experience he has learned from his own failures. We actually recorded this episode last autumn already, but since we noticed that this episode is full of tips on goal setting and such, we decided to prolong the publishing till January. After all, January is the perfect month for some self-reflection and goal setting. and welcome to our Better Monday podcast. It's nice to have you as our guest. Well, hello, Mila. It's it's a pleasure to be your guest. And uh, yeah, I hope your audience will enjoy this episode. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Hey, uh, how's your summer been so far? Um, Nothing particularly special, you know, with the corona and everything. Um not much opportunities to really travel a lot so nice easy relaxed uh but yeah not not bad that's good to hear i actually just came back from my summer vacay and uh, i usually never travel around finland uh but this time because well obviously i couldn't go abroad i went to see my let's say beautiful home country and i was actually surprised how how nice it was to travel in your own home country. So, <laughs> I, I I know that feeling. Uh, as you know, I come from Slovenia. I'm not living there anymore, but I'm from Slovenia. And a lot of people, in, even though it's a small country, like if you live in Ljubljana, the capital city, you basically have less than an hour to every border. Um And it's a small, beautiful country, but most people have no clue and never been more than to maybe one town in in, in Slovenia because they always travel to, you know, Croatia or something like that for the summer vacation. And now I'm seeing that they are rediscovering the beauties of of their homeland as well. So in a very similar way, just like you did. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's one good point about the coronavirus. People are actually starting to know their own home countries. Yes. That's good. 
Uh, but hey, um, because of the name of this podcast is Better Monday, uh, I have to ask you, what makes a Better Monday for you? Oh, um, very easy. Um, a good preparation on Sunday. I strongly believe that preparation is always the key. I mean, uh, your day will start well if you prepare well the evening before. If you go to bed on time, if you, you know, um, maybe not overeat before you go to sleep and things, everything that can affect a good sleep uh, will, you know, mess up your morning. And uh, especially for... Every Sunday afternoon or evening, uh, I for years now, I have one hour blocked uh, to prepare myself for the next week. What are some of my goals? Who do I want to reconnect with? Like I have a bunch of stuff that uh, I like to do on a weekly basis that I know are important things. So understanding what's important versus what is just busy work uh, and then preparing you know, like making a list of people that I want to reach out to. And then it's super easy to go through the week because the list is there. You just click, bam, do it. Uh, so for me, the key is always in good preparation. So that one hour, uh, it used to be two to three hours, but then I became better and better and better. Uh, and uh, that one hour uh really makes so much difference because on a Monday morning and every morning uh, in the week, I know exactly what I have to do um, to really use the days well. Mm -hmm. Do you actually have a physical list, like a to-do list, or is it all in your head or how do you manage? No, 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 no. I like, um, I, I have a checklist of things that I want to go through uh, and, and do. I mean, um, it was a lot of trial error, uh, reflecting, uh, you know, correcting things and so on. Um, so, of course, when I started this routine, uh, it wasn't perfect and it still isn't. You know, I, I, I'm a very big fan of what I call the permanent beta mindset. So nothing is really carved in stone and, you know, your life changes. Uh, I never knew that I'm going to move to a different country until it really happened. I mean, it was like a overnight decision. And two weeks later, I was moved to another country. And of course, when you do something like that, maybe certain things uh, become bigger priorities and so on. And, and then, you know, if you are open to constant change, you just change it a little bit. You tweak it, you try it. Yeah. And then, because big part of my one hour is reflecting on the past week. What was working well, what wasn't, what lessons I can learn. So I first ask myself a bunch of those questions. So it starts with the reflection time. And then it's a little bit of brainstorming how I can make things that weren't good better. Uh, then I have a few things that I know I have to do every week. So like every week, actually every day, I want to reach out to about five people from my network. Just reach out, say hi, and so on, and, and have a few conversations, maybe jump on a catch-up call. Because, you know, we as entrepreneurs, uh, one of the things that we can always leverage is our, our network, leverage the trust that we already have with 
our network. And, you know, sometimes ideas pop up. Sometimes we start something together. Sometimes I can send somebody their way. Sometimes they can send somebody my way. So that's a really important thing in my weekly planning is to every day reach out to a few people and just say hi and then see where that goes. Um, and, and, you know, other things. So something for the branding um, and, and so things that I need to do um, so that our business will be better on Friday than it was on Sunday. That's kind of like the idea. And, you know, uh, maybe one week if we are starting or launching something new, my activities will be more focused around that. Then you have the average weeks where you do some of the regular stuff. So those things change. And that's part of, you know, uh, usually my on, on a Sunday, what I do is I first go for a long walk with my doggies because that really clears my head and, you know, relaxes me. And uh, when I come back home, my you know, I, I have the thinking power. And so it, it, in that hour, um, I try to think, okay, what should be the focus for the next week? Is it just a regular week where I do like this three, four, five things, uh, focus on them? Or uh, are we starting something new, something that I have to be extra focused on? But yeah, the key is in the preparation. And you already mentioned that you work as an entrepreneur. Could you tell a little bit about your work and uh, about your history as well? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm not so much the entrepreneur. I mean, I am because I have a few companies that I own. Um, so I guess I am an entrepreneur. But now I'm more in the coaching, teaching, mentoring uh, uh, other fellow entrepreneurs. Uh, even some, I work with some corporations as the leadership coach. Uh, one of the most known clients of mine is... Uh, Coach New York, you know, the fashion brand. Um, so I work with their European leaders um, on a monthly basis. Um, but yeah, before uh, I had quite an interesting entrepreneurial journey. Uh, it was full of ups and downs. Uh, I've had a few very successful companies uh, doing millions, tens of millions. One of them uh, was even uh, in the second year doing $730 million in revenue. Uh, and that one got sold to a Fortune 100 competitor. Um, so I can't tell which one because it was a takeover because they wanted our know-how and then certain software solutions and so on. So um, it wasn't the friendliest of the takeovers, but it was what it was. Um, but yeah, lots of ups, lots of downs back in 2009 with the last recession. Um, in just one single day, I lost $20 million. I mean, none of that was dollars because obviously I'm from European Union. It's just that most of the podcasts, most of my clients, most of my audience is US, Canada, Australia. And then you just start using US dollars because people from around the world, they, they still don't know where exactly to position the euro. Mm -hmm. um, so um, yeah, about $20 million in just one single day. Uh, because of one big project that I was an investor in, a real estate project. Uh, all my other companies were co-signing for the loan that we needed for that project. So they just took everything down. Uh, and I woke up next day with personal debt 
because I personally co-signed a whole bunch of things because I was stupid uh, and I had no idea, you know, how to protect your assets and so on. Something that I've learned through that experience. Uh, and I woke up with uh, almost $5 million in personal debt. Um, went through a whole lot of depression, anxiety, even had suicide attempts. Uh, one of them was literally seconds away from from committing the, the final act. Uh, thankfully, I had the aha moment. And then I started working on my self-development, on my business development. I was doing a lot of, you know, whatever came along the way um, for a few years just to survive basically from week to week, just to be able to buy food and, and so on. Um, and then I had my big break uh, in 2014. Uh, I started a startup, the energy efficiency startup. Um, and yeah, that one was a huge success. Uh, with scaling insanely fast. And it was all because of all the lessons that I've learned from all my failures in the past. And then the exit. And then after that, I did what any normal entrepreneur would do. And I went to Lisbon, Portugal. And I said, ooh, uh, now I'm just going to lie on the beaches, you know, drink cocktails, uh, uh, sunbait, uh, swim, surf, whatever, you know, I'll got to live the dream life. And after about three days of drinking and dancing, I was so bored. Uh, and I just had to be surrounded with fellow entrepreneurs. I, I guess once you're an entrepreneur, you are, you know, always an entrepreneur, it becomes your DNA. So I took out my phone, went into the meetup app, um, and of course, in Lisbon, uh, they have very vibrant entrepreneurial community and a lot of meetup, meetups going on. Uh, well, at least in no Corona times. Uh, so I started going to meetups and, you know, people see that you are a foreigner, that, you know, you, you like, who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. And uh, when I was telling my stories, Often entrepreneurs would be, oh, can I, you know, buy you a coffee tomorrow? I want to pick your brain a little bit. Could you come visit our office and we can show you what we are working on? Or somebody with just an idea, hey, would you look at over my business plan and tell me what you think and so on. And um, yeah, I just started helping people left and right, left and right. And, you know, I felt uh, useful, you know, somebody I can actually give something to other people. I wasn't too old, so, you know, why would you retire? Uh, and the feeling when, you know, those people started coming back after a few weeks, after a few months, sending me emails and, and, and jumping on calls. Oh, I implemented that and it really helped me. I, I don't know, I doubled my revenue or we did this, we did that. Uh, and it just felt so good. Uh, I, I was not even close to the millions that I had before my failures, but on the inside, it made me feel like a billionaire. Uh, and it was such an amazing feeling, but I never thought, you know, like, oh, becoming a coach is a thing. Um, my uh, overview how coaches are was actually quite bad. You know, I was one of those entrepreneurs saying, well, you know, if you don't, if you don't know how to do stuff, then you go and you teach. Um, but yeah, then one evening uh, I was having a few beers with my friend and thinking, okay, you know, like, what do I do next? Everybody, like, 
uh, investors were calling me. Everybody was expecting, you know, like, oh, okay, so with this company, you went that far. Like, like what's the next big move that you're going to do? Uh, but I just didn't feel like, you know, being an entrepreneur in, in that kind of way, doing something by myself, for myself. And this friend actually said, well, I mean, you love helping people. You, you, you love what you do. You're good at it. They get great results. Why don't you just do that? Uh, and yeah, um, because I learned everything from my past failures, I named my company Fail Coach. Um, because the reality, I mean, the reality, anybody who's been an entrepreneur for more than a few days knows that it's impossible to just do everything right. It's, it's impossible. And so you go through a whole lot of failures and roadblocks and, and testing and trying and this works, this doesn't work. So the key for me to success is actually knowing how to fail. Does that make sense? Almost like, you know, if you, if you want to learn how to walk as a baby, you first need to learn how to crawl in kind of like that kind of way. And the healthier your relationship with failure is, the quicker you will bounce back, learn the lessons, grow, and do things differently and speed up the process to achieving success. And so, yeah, um, after that, I mostly was involved in the startup community because I am that hardcore startup person. Um, you know, every, everything is to the extreme uh, MVP style uh, and, you know, all of that things. But, uh, um, yeah, then it slowly started expanding. And now, you know, I help new entrepreneurs. Um, I help to start their business with the right foundations. Um, I help six-figure entrepreneurs to grow to seven, to lay down systems and processes and foundations to grow beyond six to seven. Um, I have a mastermind for seven, eight-figure entrepreneurs where I help them to become four-hour-a-week CEO. Four-hour meaning managing your business. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that you can do, but the real managing can be done in three, four hours a week if you have, again, a good system in place. Uh, and as you can hear, everything is foundations, systems, because, you know, building a business is like building a house. You start with the foundation first, and the foundation needs to be big enough, strong enough for the house you're about to build. And when you want to grow that house into a skyscraper, you always have to go first to the foundations and increase and, and, and do better foundations before you can start building up. So a foundation for a six-figure business is not the same as for a seven, eight, nine, ten-figure business. So each next step, you have to first go revisit the foundations, revisit the basics, uh, do the work on that before. And then scaling or growing is super simple. When you help these other organizations and entrepreneurs to develop their businesses further... Uh, what are usually the biggest challenges uh, or obstacles that they face? Well, uh, the biggest one is always themselves. Um, the, you know, the first pillar of that foundation is you, the entrepreneur. 
and nobody was born the perfect entrepreneur. I mean, yes, if you were born into a entrepreneurial family, you probably have, you know, a lot of good foundations already uh, set up. If you were, you know, in a good business school, probably quite a few of those foundations are there. But, you know, nowadays, more and more people with any uh, without any background in entrepreneurship, want to join the whole online digital work uh, working space, especially now with the corona. And, you know, if you don't have that background, um, you have to build that foundation first. There are, you know, uh, somebody might be good at talking to people, which will help greatly with, you know, the product market fit. But maybe they aren't really a person who is, you know, uh, uh, careful with the numbers and, and, you know, the little details. So they're not the operational wizard. Often entrepreneurs are more the creative types, you know, they, they uh, love what they do. They are all over the place. Uh, but systems and processes, that's not sexy, you know, that's boring and you don't see the results straight away. It's not like, oh, today I'll create a process and I'll see results tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. You have to give it a little bit of time. But, you know, it's not even that big of a time. I mean, just recently, I've had a few clients um, who in nine to 10 weeks after starting to work with me, they saw they were already at a few hundred thousand euros or dollars a year in revenue, they saw 50 to 100% increase in the revenue plus higher profitability. Because processes, we make them leaner, we make them more efficient. And so you are spending less on the bottom line. So you increase the profitability. Uh, just one client right now after after six months well we started in february and now it's august so what that six seven months um yeah they they already did uh, more revenue than they were planning in january for this whole year um you know so uh it, it doesn't take years to see the results but it, it it doesn't happen in a week like for example this particular client uh for three months nothing really happened but then things started snowballing because in entrepreneurship, it's never that gradual increase. It's always the so-called hockey stick when, you know, you don't see shit for months. And then when almost when you are at the moment where you just want to send everything to hell and give up, but you keep going, it's almost like, I don't know, some invisible force is testing us if we really uh, are hungry for it. I, I don't know what it is, but I see that every freaking time. I mean, yes, of course, every now and then somebody gets lucky and, and uh, you know, things happen faster. Every now and then somebody wins the lottery. Every now and then somebody puts just the right number of chips on the right number in the roulette. So, you know, things do happen, but they are not duplicatable. It's not something you can repeat over and over and over. It's just a lucky instance. But the things that, you know, are proven and duplicated, um, they take a bit time and then it's the hockey stick effect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, when do you know when you actually then should uh, stop, actually? Like uh, if there is a failure uh, in a business and then um, like a signs are showing that actually now you should stop and start uh, start doing something else, like... 
uh, how do you um, see like when it's the point to start doing something else? Well, it's really simple. Uh, so the number one thing in any business uh, now, if we take away, you know, the you foundation, your good mindset and so on. So if we just look at business from a technical point of view, the number one key thing is, do you have a product market fit? Now, a product market fit means that there's an audience that actually has a problem and is seeking a solution. And you have a product or a service that, you know, helps with that. But then, you know, you also need to have part of product market fit is also having a business model that can uh, th that they can afford and that it's profitable for you. So if you don't have a product market fit and the only way to validate is that is by having sales, that's the validation of product market fit, then you don't have anything. Then I would not even go any further from that. And so many entrepreneurs, they start with a website and, and you know, uh, this and that before they even know. And then they go and try to chase the market and hope that somebody will want to buy what they sell. I mean, with service businesses, it's a bit easier because you can always, you know, like revamp your offer. But when you actually produce a product or something like that, that's a whole different thing. Now, part of that business model is also understanding the market size. So, you know, maybe you're offering something that is super niche, and you only have a few people who really need that. And so maybe you can go to six figures, uh, but with that particular product market fit, you can't go beyond that because it's really like a super, super niche thing. It happens. Uh, I mean, with the globalization and so on, where the whole world is at our you know, screen tips, uh, it's, a diff it's, it's a little bit easier to increase the size of the potential audience. But, you know, maybe if you're super local um, and, uh, I don't know, let's say you're doing something in Slovenia just for the Slovenians. I mean, only 2 million people speak Slovenian. So, you know, I mean, you're limited with the 2 million uh, uh, people of potential clients. Um, but then, you know, um, you can increase that market potential by, you know, maybe offering what you offer uh, for Croatians. Bam, you added another 4 million people. Maybe you can, you know, uh, increase that and go offer it to Austria. Bam, another 7 million people. So, you know, it's, it, it, but you have to be very logical about it. So often with the product market fit, and this is that foundation in you, the entrepreneur, which is the emotional intelligence and knowing how to balance between the logic and the emotions, um, you know, you can't be in love with your product market fit. Uh, it, it's not, oh, I, I'm so in love with my product and I believe that it will one day be a huge, big thing. Um, I mean, yes, you can if you have a lot of resources and, you know, you have a huge bank account and you don't, it's really more like a hobby, not so much as a business. But if you're running that as a business, I mean, if there's no product market fit, then you really don't have anything. And part of establishing product market fit is understanding what is the potential market penetration of what you can do. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of different ways, uh, scientific, through data analysis and so on, and also talking to people and surveys and, and so on, 
how you can assess that. Now, of course, the bigger your company, the more resources you have. You can even outsource and hire to specific companies who just do, you know, market validation, focus groups, and so on. That's how, you know, big corporations like Apple and so on, uh, when they're thinking about something, do things. Well, you know, small entrepreneurs, we don't have budgets like that. So basically the best way to do it is you go out there, you start what you think would be your target audience, and then just start having conversations with them. Mm. Test it in a way. Yeah, I mean, that's the only way, Mm -hmm. you know? And then being open that nothing is carved in stone and being open to changing things. And sometimes it's little pivots and sometimes big pivots because, you know, like I said, Let's say my one-on-one coaching. Uh, not that I'm limited with number of clients. I'm limited with my own hours. I can't have you know more than a few one-on-one clients if I want to have any kind of you know healthy life balance. Uh, and even let's say fuck it to life balance. I mean, I'm still limited with the 24/7 minus a few hours for sleeping and so on. So there's a limit to what I can do. So. Unless I charge millions for my one-on-one coaching, uh, I can't go to seven figures with a one-on-one. So you need to be willing to adopt because you can either have internal limitations to your business model or external ones. You know, maybe, I don't know, I can't think of a super crazy niche that's super, super small right now. I don't know. Um, um I guess with almost 8 billion people, every niche is, is big enough. Uh, I, I, I really can't think of something, but um, um, yeah. But let's say that there is a niche of people that only 50 people in the whole world are needing a specific service and nobody else. Well, you know, even if you have zero competition out of those 50, probably not all will be able to pay you uh, probably not all will be aware that they actually have a problem and that they actually need a solution. I mean, you know, uh, with all the polarization and everything going on. Um, so even if you have zero competition, you can't say, I'll capture all 50 of them. And if it's not something that they have to buy on a daily, weekly, you know, repetitive basis, um, you, you really don't have much of a business model there. I mean, you can serve that niche, mm. but then you have to be open to start thinking, okay, what can I do here? How can I use what I have and tweak it maybe a little bit, this or that, and you know, maybe potentially offer the same thing to a different niche. You just need to understand that when you're changing niches, you need to have a separate business development model for or a business plan for the second niche or for a second product and develop a, a whole separate uh, communication strategy. Mm. Just like, for example, we do certain things on Facebook, certain things on LinkedIn. If you go to my LinkedIn, you'll see a whole different story than on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, you, you have to really think about it and uh, separate the markets. Yeah. Um, as a fail coach, you know, obviously, a lot about failing and uh, failure. Um, how can organizations utilize the failure in their businesses or is it even possible well um not that it's possible it's absolutely doable 
Um, I've done that with some big corporations, uh, even bigger than the Coach New York. But unfortunately, when you're the fail coach, quite a lot of big companies and big corporations uh, want to sign an NDA because they don't want to be associated with somebody. They understand the value of that whole thing, but you know they don't think that their audience is ready to understand that. Oh, we were coached by a fail coach, so you know it's it's a it's a little bit of a um, you know, the thing is, if, if you uh, hire a consultant to help you with your sales processes, that doesn't mean that something is absolutely wrong. You know, you just hired somebody to increase your conversion rates a little bit. But when you hire a fail coach, I mean, you know, probably quite a lot is already going wrong. And, you know, you don't want to make that public. And, you know, so I can't talk about specific companies. The whole thing is, again, the, the leadership. So it starts at the top. Uh, but I believe that being open to failing will actually be or already is a high competitive advantage, whether that's small businesses or large corporations, because innovation happens through failure. I mean, you know, you have a whole bunch of researchers, like just Corona. How many laboratories around the world right now are trying to come up with a vaccine? Well, how do they do it? Uh, well, they're testing a whole bunch of vaccines and then hopefully one will actually work. But without that trial and error, no innovation can come up. So in this crazy fast global world where so much is changing so fast and so little depends on really us, because, you know, Mark Zuckerberg can wake up tomorrow morning and say, you know what, let's kill Facebook groups. I mean, how many entrepreneurs do you know who are solely based on co communicating to their audience via a Facebook group? A lot. And suddenly, bam, that's gone. Or they say, well, let's make Facebook groups like LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, they suck. I mean, there's really no point of having LinkedIn groups because they just don't work. Um, so... So much can change outside of you, and you don't have the influence over that, but you have the influence how you react to those changes. And that's like taking ownership and control. And because of that, the permanent beta mindset, always learning, always growing, always testing, that's part of the failure mindset. And uh, I think it's mandatory, and it should be mandatory for every company to start uh, working on having that um, ASAP because it is and it will be more and more the, the faster the world turns around the more changes happen uh, more important it will be um, to try to fail to have good relationship with failure bounce back quickly and just move on and and you know test more 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 and in that way you can find more of the successes along the way so but it all starts at the top. Like, you know, um, whenever I go into any kind of company or corporation, I always start at the top because if there's confusion or lack of clarity or lack of direction at the top, the lower you go inside the organization, the bigger the mess. Obviously, yeah. Um, how could companies then support their employees uh, and their work-life balance and happiness? Because... Uh... Obviously, 
employees' happiness is affecting um, companies' success as well, because employees are the ones who actually do the work in the end. Um, it's it's really like the direction the company. Like, I mean, uh, you didn't know uh, this, but amazing question. Just two days ago, so today's Thursday. Yes, on Tuesday morning, I had uh, another coaching session with the leadership uh, at Coach New York, and what we were taught that the topic of that particular uh, coaching session was uh, happiness starts within you. Leadership in coach recognized how important it is for them to help their employees. But it all came from the leadership. Uh, Understanding that the happier their employees are, the better they will do and perform in their organization. Uh, So it all happens at the top. But then, you you know, you can't just say, oh, we want to be a happy company. You have to do something about it. And so, you know, they found me or, you know, they have other coaches as well uh, who do things in some different areas. Uh, I'm more, you know, the emotional uh, intelligence and things like that. And, you know, they have others for, I don't know, let's do yoga. um, Let's, you know. All of those things, they have constant education that's not mandatory, but it's inviting. And also making sure that your employees have, you know, enough time to then implement those things. So they're giving them, you know, extra hours if they work on those things and it's not counted against the paycheck and so on. So, again, it all starts at the top level and uh, it all starts in a way with a company culture and what leadership wants as a company culture and what they will value. But, and then, you know, it's just communicating internal PR campaigns, internal trainings, bringing resources towards those employees um, and really showing that what they are saying is what they really are doing. So, you know, not just saying, oh, we want our employees to be happy, but then you don't do shit about it. So, you know, follow up with actions. And then, you know, that whole thing trickles down uh, because the leaders that I'm training are doing then similar things there uh, because, you know, I always, uh, they always record and then they share that with their employees and, and they're working with them because they see the value uh, and how that will help them as well. So it then just go trickles down through the ladder. Mm-hmm. But it all starts at the top. Um, it, it, it just can't be in any other way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the leadership. So let's say the C-level, CEO and, you know, all of those Cs um, have to make a decision whether that's something that they will prioritize and really do something about it or if they will just do a PR campaign saying something, but then not giving a damn to actually implement it. Mm. So actually walk the talk. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, walk the talk, yeah. Yeah. Uh, how do you take care of yourself and your own work-life balance? Well, by being super mindful about it. Uh, like one of the things that I do every single month, and this is an exercise that I mostly do, I think, with all of my clients, no matter what level they are at, um, I call it 
a circle of life, but I, I heard that, uh, that there's something else that called circle of life. So mine is probably like just, I call it that way. I don't know why, uh, because it encircles your life. And, uh, um, the thing is, you, you, I, it's almost like a happiness index. Uh, um, I open up an Excel document or Google sheet or whatever, and then you want to have between eight and 10 sheets opened within that document. And then it's really up to you to say, what are the most important parts of your life? Health, family, business, finances, spirituality, uh, my home, like, you know, you choose whatever seven, eight, nine, ten 10 uh, pillars you believe encircle your life. And again, you know, you do it. it. It's not like, oh, I do it once and it needs to be perfect and carved in stone. Things change. You know, a few years ago, I wasn't so much in the nonprofit thing. And now non, the nonprofits became a huge pillar that has a dedicated Google sheet just for that. And then, once you have those pillars uh, written down, so it's a good exercise, you know, like what's really important in my life. So it makes you start thinking. And then for each pillar, you write at least 10 sentences, preferably more. And there's no limit to how many more. You can go 20, 30, 50, whatever. What would the perfect 10 be? And not just the things that you are missing, but even the things that you have. Let's say, I don't know. Uh, that one of my pillars is my home. And I say, well, I want a home with big yard and, and a fence because of my doggies. Uh, I have that. So it doesn't mean that I don't put that on the list. Just when it will be time for scoring, I'll give it a perfect 10. Um, and so you have 10 plus sentences really describing what a perfect 10 would be. The more specific, the better, the easier it will be for you to grade. You know, if you say just, I don't know, I want a bigger house. Well, how will you grade where you are today? It will be very hard, but, you know. Uh, and then after you're done with the sentences, that you actually go and you grade yourself. And then just at the end, uh, you add up all the numbers from zero to 10 uh, for each sentence. You get to a number that's, I don't know, 150, and you've uh, had uh, 30 30 uh, sentences, 150 divided by 30 is what? Five. So you are five in that particular pillar. Uh, and then you do the same with all the other pillars. And then at the, the, the last sheet is just an average of all the pillars. So you put all the results divided by, I don't know, eight pillars. And you say, okay, overall, my life is at a 3.5. Okay. I mean, you, I mean, the key is now not to feel bad about it and judgmental. I mean, it is what it is. Obviously, your choices and everything, how you prioritize things took you here. But now, at least you have a clear view picture and you can actually do something about it. And so then a very important thing is, okay, what's my action plan going into the next month? What are some of the most important areas that I want to work on and you have to be careful not to overload yourself. Uh, consistent little daily steps win over revolutions. Revolutions often backfire. You try to change too much too quickly and then life happens and then you don't do shit. Just take small actions, 
start small, nice and easy. And maybe next month, instead of 3.5, you will be a four. That's cool. That's half a point up. You know, I mean, uh, and, and then just like in a few months, if you just go by this tempo, you can come to an eight or a nine. I mean, by the time you're eight or a nine, then, you know, your sentences start changing because, you know, you start seeing bigger picture, you have more bigger goals and so on. So I don't think you ever achieve a perfect 10. But if you live between eight and nine, oh my God, like that is uh, one hell of a magical life to live. Um, and so, yeah, every month you do this exercise. Um and it's not competition against the month before. So what I do when I fill it out, I save already a new Excel for next month and I delete all the numbers. And then next month, first I recheck, are the pillars still the ones that I feel encircle my life? Like I said, nonprofits became a huge part of my life, so I added a new pillar. Um, or sometimes maybe you will um, um, take one out. And then you read the sentences. Do I still feel that this is a perfect 10? You know, maybe, I don't know, you discover that your girlfriend is pregnant and suddenly half of your life turned upside down. So the first thing is you really recheck if that's still there, if that's still how you feel a perfect 10 would be. And then you just grade yourself based on how you feel about those things that day. And, you know, um, most of the time, if you then do an action plan and actually execute on that action plan, you will see slow increases every month. I mean, most of my clients, they start with 2.5 to 3.5 when they first do it. I think mine was like uh, a two, two, two and a half, like very low, but it is what it is, you know? Uh, and, and then I started working towards that. They start working towards that. And in, in a few months, they come to a five to six, which is already very amazing. That's a very interesting tool. Actually, I've never heard of anything like that. I've only done um, goal mapping with myself and with my, my personal clients. Uh, but that's actually something that I could try myself as well. Sounds uh, yeah. effective. Um. I know it's a little bit geeky giving numbers to those things, uh, but uh, I don't know. I, I you know, um, usually what happens, that's kind of coming from the fail coach thing. Uh, most of the time when we are setting goals, we are either super positively emotional or in negative emotions. I don't know, you go to a doctor, they tell you, oh, your health is bad. And then you walk out and you say, oh my God, today I change everything. I will start exercising five hours a day. I will eat just green salad with nothing on top and, and da, 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 da. I mean, you know, that's not doable. And after three days, you everything will backfire after two days. So we make these things when we are highly emotional. Uh, and sometimes it's good to be logical. I mean, you need to balance those two. And I think this is really nice balance because you have to give put numbers. Uh, it's still how you feel, but then you have to actually attach a number. So it's kind of like balancing how you feel. And then you have a clear picture. You have the big picture view. Because if you do this in your head, uh, you know, you can only think about 
one or two sentences at a time. And they might make sense by itself, but then when you put things together, I mean, I just heard this uh, two days ago that the winner of the war or the battle is never the soldier in the first row. It's, it's the general sitting at the top of the hill behind, looking down the 50,000 feet view, as the Americans say, looking down and saying, oh, okay, that army is coming from that direction. We have to go around here. And, you know, seeing the big picture. And, and, and the same is with this. When you see the big picture, how all around, what are the areas that are important to me? Okay, I'm doing better here and worse here. Okay, well, let's first start by increasing this first a little bit. And then, you know, we'll start picking them all up. And, and things like that give you a different perspective. I mean, try it. And I would love to hear uh, back from you uh, when you do try it. Uh, how that felt. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's uh, really important to uh, for people to do that kind of a reflection uh, of their lives because uh, it might be that the, maybe family is a really important pillar for them, but then they notice when they do the reflection that um, they haven't put that much effort or time on, on that. Happens. Yeah, so that that's kind of uh, maybe waking them up or, or something. Yeah. I mean, you know, even in your business, you have to do due diligence every now and then, because if you just keep running <clears throat> and you, if you're constantly on the fire ground, solving problems, taking out fires, doing the task that to do I mean, like at least once a month, you have to stop and, you know, go away from the company for two, three days to really, see the bigger picture. That's why you hire a coach or a mentor, somebody from the outside, you know, who is not involved in a day-to-day things. And you do a little bit of due diligence because maybe you're just doing something that's not working anymore. Maybe, you know, you've been running ads for your business for years and they work like magic, but because of changes in certain algorithms or changes in human behavior, maybe, you know, your audience migrated to a different platform or something like that. I mean, you have to step away uh, to see those things, um, you know, and, and, and the same with your life. I mean, it, it's no different. You, you have to become the CEO of your life and, and you know, I mean, you should have an Excel like this for different parts of your business as well. You know, maybe based on the basic pillars that uh, of your process. If you are a service business, it's probably attraction marketing, ecosystem marketing, sales process, delivery, uh, client experience. Uh, maybe you have one for just back office or if you're a bigger company, you will have HR, finances, legal, taxes separately. Uh, and and just have same Excel sheet and, and think, okay, what would be the perfect 10 for each of this area? And then every month do the due diligence and see where you stand. I mean, that's the only way how you can really grow fast. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you just go, 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 go. The thing is with the go, go, go strategy is that usually uh, you don't understand that something is failing until it might be too late or when you are already very deep I mean, cash flow management, uh, super important. Every freaking company should do a weekly cash flow management and monthly cash flow management. 
Not many are doing it. Because of that, they're not even aware. Because you can have good cash flow, but you can, you can be doing minus in your balance sheet. And eventually that minus will catch up with you and you know you uh, and maybe your cash flow will lower down a little bit uh, and you won't be able to meet the demands of your creditors and so on bam big crash and then you have very little available to you i mean you know when's the best time to go to the bank well when you don't need the money that's when you you know get your uh credits, uh, 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 sign the contracts and so on so that you can have that when you actually need it. But if you go to the bank when you are desperate in needing the cash, you'll never get it. Mm, exactly. Yeah, I still have one more question to ask. Um, name one happiness act that makes company a better employer than all the others. Whew. Um Yeah, I have an answer to that one. I think every company should buy five languages of love book in as many copies as there are people at the company, including the from CEO to the cleaning lady and everybody in between. Uh, yes, five languages of love is a book for romantic relationships, but you know if you filter it a little bit, because. Uh, I was just talking about this a few days ago. I, I, I'm working with a company that is in architectural space. And somehow they wanted to mimic Google and Facebook with, you know, oh, let's have the sleeping pots and the, and the games and, and, you know, this and that. But the thing was, I said, well, well, what about your employees? I mean, that's what maybe you want, but do they really want that? Is that really going to be meaningful for them? And when they did a little bit of a research, they discovered that instead of that things, they would value more um, uh, for the company to pay yearly checkup at the doctors and, and, and you know a few different things like that. Things that the leadership team never thought about because they're a bit younger and they were just, you know, uh, the PR of Google and Facebook was just is just so strong about that work environment, but that doesn't have to mean that your employees want that because the employees are more engineers, technical stuff, and uh, they were more family orientated. And you know, I mean, that's why I say buy like buy the five languages of love. Everybody read it; it will help you understand yourself better, and it will help you to communicate, you know, like every company should be or is doing, you know, the monthly or quarterly uh, talks where you the, the leader talks with the employees and then uh, higher leaders talk with leaders and so on, the assessment, evaluation and so on. The five languages of love will teach you how to do proper. And I'm not affiliated in any way with that book, but I just really love how uh, how you can learn to communicate things because that's that's really it you you need to understand uh but again if we go sooner to that you need to understand your hr strategy as well number one is do you have company culture the way you want it company culture will be created anyway it just might not be what you like so if you don't uh create it it will be created, but it might go off. So it starts with the company culture. What kind of company do we want to be? What do we stand for? Who we are? Blah, blah, blah. 
and then hire when you're hiring it, people should also reflect with the company culture otherwise they won't be a good fit and if you have like a huge mix of people then you have like a uh, craziness um, so you need to start with all the right steps and but then once you have that done it's good to know how to communicate and how to understand what they want how you wanted things I believe that today we as leaders, I mean, we are still at the top of the pyramid, but I just believe that the pyramid is turned upside down because we are at the bottom there to serve people in our organizations. The old leadership model, you know, like, oh, you'll do what I say, not, um, and not, 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 not what I do. Like that was old style when people didn't have any options or anything but i think uh now with the globalization and all of that people understand that they have more options that they are not locked in oh just because i live in this small town well that doesn't mean that i can't go online and be a ba to somebody in a different country and end up earning more in just a few hours than if i go to this factory every single day for 10 hours and so those shifts are happening and some leaders are catching up to that and understanding that, and some don't. Thank you, Miha. This was very, very interesting talk. At, at least I enjoyed it a lot, and uh, I got very good tips. And well, especially you. I will try the Excel sheet thing with my goals for the next month. So I'll report to you after, uh, after I've finished. Perfect. Well, I do hope that it will be valuable to your audience. I mean, I know I can just go on and on and on and talk about all of these things. And sometimes I just don't know how to stop, but uh, yeah, hopefully they will not find it too boring to not to listen to it. And uh, yeah, I really hope it will be helpful. Thank you for listening to Better Monday podcast. If you want to hear more, click to www.bedomonday.fi to subscribe and hear more. Stay safe, people, and keep up the good vibes. 